13 folds. Each fold a reminder of a life spent in service. Service to country, service to people, protecting God-given rights, preserving freedoms. 13 folds. At each fold, we remember the friends and family left behind, the mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, sons and daughters left to pick up the pieces. 13 folds. And we remember the scriptures. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Each one loved greatly. We also remember that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And today we pray, God be near those who need comfort. So draw close to those who mourn. Make your presence and appreciation known. Let this church be a safe place, a comforting place. And let us honor those who have given their lives in service to this country. Thirteen folds to signify a life given to service. Amen. Well, that's just something we want to remember uh, as a church family each and every year, especially on this weekend as we celebrate Memorial Day, just of, the, of all the men and, and women who have given their lives to serve our country and given their lives serving our country and uh, making it a given us the ability that we can be here on Sunday morning here in Tiffin, Ohio, uh, worshiping together and uh, growing in our relationships with each other and God. And so something we just want to remember um, as, we, uh, as we really, as we go throughout this weekend. You guys having a good weekend? Okay. All right. Good. Just checking. Um, got big plans for tomorrow, grilling out, cooking out. Okay. All right. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Um, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, in the house that we were living in, we had this, like, we had this stump in our backyard, okay? It was, the stump was there, the tree had already been cut down before we had moved in, and so there's this stump, and I remember the first, uh, summer that we were there at this house, um, that, uh, a tree grew out of the stump. It was a maple tree. It was, it was, it, it was kind of, it was in a unique, it actually was not in a very convenient spot at all. It was kind of in the middle of the backyard. And this tree just like grew out of the stump and it was huge. It was, I mean, to me as a kid, it was like an eight foot, 10 foot maple tree. And it was a gnarly looking tree. It wasn't good. All right. It was, it was not a, like a pretty tree at all. It had like weird branches going all over the place. Um, but this, this thing was a survivor. Okay. It was a fighter. And so what my dad did is he went out and I remember him going out and cutting down this random tree that just grew over the summer in the middle of our backyard. And so he went and cut it out, cut it down. And, um, and we thought everything was going to be good and it was gone and it was gone forever. And he had won the battle until the next summer came. And uh, the tree was like even bigger than it was the previous summer. And it's interesting, this tree was able to grow because it had like Apparently, underneath the surface, stuff you couldn't see, it had like a ton of roots below the surface, okay, that was feeding these little, feeding this, this tree. And today, what I want to do is I want to, us to view our mental battles 
um, like addictions and negative thoughts and disorders and anxiety and stress and even what we're going to mainly be talking about this morning, even depression, I want us to view that as kind of like that tree that just kept growing. All right, if we don't deal with the whole problem, it's going to keep coming back. All right, if we don't attack our, the issue in our minds at the roots, it's going to keep coming back. It's funny because you think about in hindsight, as I think about this tree, um, if my dad that first summer, okay, would have just gone in and like dug out the stump, which by the way, would have been a pain, all right, would have taken him way longer, would have been, you know, not like a fun thing to do. But if he would have just dug out that stump and like cut off the roots like, like under the ground, you know, if he would have done that, he wouldn't have had to worry about it for the next 12 years, as every year he went back, and every year he had to cut down this tree that kept growing with it. You know, he wouldn't, the, the battle would have been over. And really, that's the same thing with our mental struggles. Those thoughts and those lies that are within our mind that the enemy puts in there, they need to be dug up and put to death in our minds. That's how it works, and that's exactly what God tells us to do. And this is something we've been talking about throughout every week of this series, and today we're going to wrap this thing up. Um, but we've talked about how God in 1 Corinthians, t- or for, yeah, 1 Corinthians 10, how uh, God tells us that we, the enemy implants thoughts, specifically he calls them lies because that's exactly what they are. They're contrary to what, the, what God tells us, contrary to truth. The enemy implants these thoughts within our minds and just doesn't like leave those thoughts and say, oh man, I hope that like tears them up inside. No, he builds up a wall around it. Remember, we, the Bible describes it as a stronghold. It builds these walls around the mind, so it's hard for us, or around the thought, so it's hard for us to get to it. And so what God tells us as a Christian to do is he's saying, hey, you, after you've given your life over to Jesus, you now have the ability to go in and take care of that thought. You got to go in. First, you got to identify which thoughts are right and which thoughts are wrong, which thoughts are truth and which thoughts are, are lies from the enemy. And then you got to go in and you got to demolish the walls that are surrounding those thoughts that the enemy has defending those thoughts. And you got you to take that, cu- that thought captive. You got to drag it out by like the neck and you got to force it to obey. That's how we as Christians take control of our minds. Now, if you're like me, you're going, Okay, well, that's a lot easier said than done, okay? That's not an easy thing, okay? That's just not something that happens overnight, especially when we're dealing with any form of depression. And depression is real. And depression is a problem. It's actually a growing problem within our world. Now, it's interesting. The world has not found a way to fix depression yet, okay? The world has found a lot of little things that can help us beat depression, all right, that can help lessen the, uh, lessen the effects of depression. Uh, you could go on Google. You can find all these things, all right? The, Google says, well, one of the main things you could do is just get in sunlight. Go walk around in the sun. That's why people are more depressed in the winter than they are in the summer, simply because of the sun. And Google says you need exercise, all right? That can help you lessen um, depression within your life. And that's, you know, we see that even from the Bible that, yeah, we weren't created just to sit around all day, okay? That's not good for us. It's definitely not good for our mental health, okay? The, Google says, you, you know, control your diet and the way you eat can help lessen all right, depression in your life. And we understand that those kind of natural things can all help us with our fight or with our battle with depression, but that doesn't necessarily cure us from depression. Uh, medication 
is, can also be another way to help. Although, I believe when we're taking medication, we should be extremely cautious about how much and how many um, types of medications that we take within our life, um, the, or within, within our day. Um, I heard a stat this week that Americans um, take three times the amount of antidepressants than the rest of the world combined. All right? It's just crazy. That's a lot of medication. All right, that's a lot of depressed people within our realm. That's a lot of depressed people within this room. I was looking at the CDC uh, over, the, over the week, and I saw a stat that over 11% of the population, 12 years old and over, are taking antidepressants daily. And that stat that I found on the CDC's website was actually a 15-year-old stat. It was from 2008, right? I mean, how much worse do you think it is today? And I get it. Like, you know, there's many people here that uh, you guys take medications and it helps you control your thoughts and helps you control your feelings. I'm not saying it's wrong to take medication, by the way. All right, so don't throw those words in my mouth. I'm not saying that at all. Um, But this is what I'm saying. As a Christian, really, as anybody, all right, we should be careful when taking medication that changes our brain chemistry for extended periods of time. Because that's an important thing going on. That's an important deal within our life. In general, it sure looks like the United States is, is severely over-medicated. And medication, we got to remember, it doesn't necessarily fix the problem. We still have to fix it. Medication can help at times. Okay, totally get that. But we still got to fix it. That brings us to cognitive behavior psychology, which is what we've been looking at, kind of what this whole series, in a sense, has been based um, on this kind of idea that uh, many of our mental issues that we are all struggling with are actually related to wrong thought processes within our minds, which then it changes the chemistry of our brain, which then changes how we feel, which then changes what we do. And so science tells us that many of our issues, things like uh, eating disorders and addictions and anxiety and anger and negative thoughts and depression, a lot of these things can be the direct result of wrong thinking within our mind. And so we still have to fix the thinking, and medication can help at times. We totally get that. But taking meds and not fixing our issues, not changing our thinking, leads to medication just masking an unresolved issue within our minds. That's always going to be there. And if we don't deal with it, it's always going to come back. And so we've seen uh, over the last few weeks that God has a lot to say about the way that we think, right, and what we think about. Uh, We weren't meant to live under a heavy cloud of anxiety or negative thoughts or depression. And uh, in fact, the Bible says that anxiety and depression are often, uh, they're related and they're actually often found together. Proverbs tells us that anxiety in a person's heart, it weighs it down. A lot of you guys, you've felt this before. Probably all of us to a certain extent, some more than others, all right, we need to recognize, have felt this before. We're in anxiety. That's exactly what it does. Worry and anxiety, it brings us down. It makes us depressed. But then God says, but a good word cheers it up. And the good news for us as Christians is that, man, we have some good words, right? All right, we have the best words that we can go to. God, who invented us, who knows how we work, who invented the chemistry of our minds, of our brains, tells us what we need to do to fix ourselves. And, uh, and, and God is not new to the idea of depression. So my goal for you today is allow these words to help you. 
right? Just don't let them go in one ear out the other and then, you know, not think about it. No, no, no. Allow these words to help you and help you fix um, the issues that are within your mind and help you win the battle for your mind. Um, again, God is not uh, foreign to the idea of depression. In fact, you look through the Bible, there's a lot of depressed people. Have you noticed that? In the Bible, there's a lot of sad, depressed people. We see a lot of godly people struggling with different forms of depression a lot. Right? One of the main guys that come to mind is uh, this guy named Job. We've talked about Job. He's maybe one of the oldest stories um, from the Bible way back in the Old Testament. This guy named Job, on one single day, he loses basically everything. I mean, he loses his wealth. And he was, a, he was a really wealthy guy. He loses his friends. He loses his best workers. Uh, he even loses his children. And then a little while later, he loses his health. His wife's telling him to, to just die, like, like curse God and die. He's got friends that come that then start accusing him of doing all this bad stuff. Because why would all this bad stuff be happening in his life if he wasn't a bad person? And just all this stuff. And Job eventually cracks. And remember what Job has to say? He says, now my life is poured out before me and the days of suffering have seized me. He says, man, and this is how he feels, by the way. He says, night pierces my bones, but my gnawing pain, it never rests. He's like, I'm struggling with this. I can't get it off me. I just got like this weight on my shoulders and I'm just so depressed. And Job, think about it, was way more righteous and godly than any of us, right? I mean, he was, he, was, he was the most righteous man in the world at this point. I mean, that's why, that's why Satan, that's why the enemy is going after him. And so what's Job do? As we would expect, he goes to God. Okay, and this is what he says. He says, I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. You ever feel that way, by the way? Yeah, have you ever felt that where you're like, you got this thing, you're like way down, you're so, you know, really, you're so depressed, you're so anxious, and you got all the, you know, got these negative thoughts just swirling around in your mind, and you just can't seem to get it off of you, and so what do you do? You cry out to God, and it's like, you don't feel like he answers you? Like he's not there, and that's when you start questioning, like, okay, God, what's going on here? Why, why are you allowing me struggling? Why are you allowing me to struggle with this? Why am I dealing with this? I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to be like this. What's going on here? Where are you? What are you doing? What's going on? And so that's exactly how Job feels. He's like, I cry out to you, God, for help, but you don't even answer me. And when I stand up, you just look at me. You're not helping me. Sure doesn't feel that way. I'm stuck in a rut. I can't seem to get out. I'm trying to reach for you for help, and you're not helping me out. It's how Job feels. Job's not the only one. Remember Jacob? We actually kind of talked about this last year a little bit when we were looking at his son Joseph. Um, but Jacob, when Jacob, feel, from the Old Testament, when he hears or feels, well, when, we, he, when he hears that his son Joseph has been killed, um, it says, Jacob, he mourned for his son Joseph for many days. And all of his sons and daughters, they tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. You ever been there? You ever feel that way? Where it's just like, you know, I, I, I have all this other good stuff in my life, but this one thing is just dragging me down, and I can't, like, he just, like, refuse, we refuse to be comforted. He says, no, I will go down to the grave to see my, you know, to my son. I'm going to die someday, just like my son has died, and I'm going to do this morning. He's like, for the rest of my life, I'm just going to be sad. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be depressed. And his father wept. I mean, here's Jacob. He doesn't know what to do. He's just struggling with this stuff. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, think about David, right? David, he's a man after God's own heart, famous. He's king. 
David, he writes, I'm weary from my groaning with my tears. I dampen my bed and I drench my coach from every night. He, he, my, my, yeah. Here's David, right? He's just like, he's just like I, I'm tired of being tired. You ever been there? He says, my eyes are swollen from grief, and they grow old because of my, all of my enemies. It's like, I feel like everybody's just out to get me, and all this bad stuff is going all around me, and I don't know what to do, and I'm just, I'm just so sick of it. And you got Elijah, right? Elijah, he's a funny one to me, because he's a prophet in the Old Testament. I mean, this is like, so a prophet is simply, God tells this dude to go tell the, his, his people, which were the Jewish people, he says, you know, hey, I want you to go tell the Jewish people this. And the prophet goes, okay, 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 got it. And then he says, okay, God says this. So that's simply what a prophet is. He's like a, he's like a messenger. And so you got this, this prophet, Elijah, and he's had a lot of bad things happen to him. He's actually done a bunch of cool things as well. And uh, he's, he's in trouble where he has the queen of Israel is trying to hunt him down currently, and she wants him dead. And so Elijah, he feels like he's the last prophet left, the last good guy left. Everybody else is worshiping all these fake gods. It's just, everything's gone downhill. And it says, Elijah, he runs out. He has to leave his home. He runs out into the middle of the desert by himself. He sets down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. <laughs> all right? Talk about depressed. He's just like, kill me. All right? Just take me out. He says, I have had enough, Lord. You ever feel that way? He says, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm messed up. I'm tired of this. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm done. All right, you got Jonah, right? Remember Jonah? Jonah, he says, he says, Jonah wanted to die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live, right? So here's Jonah. He's a prophet from God, right? He's supposed to be this guy who's like, I mean, he's like talked with God before and he's like, I just want to die. It's better for me to die than to live. He's depressed. And then God comes down and he talks to Jonah. And Jonah tells him to his face, he's like, I'm angry enough to die. Okay? This is an angry, depressed, negative person. And, and he's depressed. You got Jeremiah, last one. Jeremiah, he, he's gone through a ton of stuff. Jeremiah was there when an invading army comes in and takes over the nation of Judah and, and Israel, and, and they've conquered everybody. And he's watched, I mean, they're brutally killing people. He's seen this stuff with his own eyes. I mean, he's probably watched his friends die. He's probably watched his, his family members get brutally killed, tortured, and died. I mean, he has been there for all this, let alone the nation is, is, is down. And uh, he says, my eyes are worn out from weeping. In fact, that's his nickname. He's called like the weeping prophet, okay? He says, my eyes are just worn out from crying. And I'm churning within. My heart is poured out in grief. So many of you could totally relate to that feeling. I felt that before. I got this depression. I got these. And my heart is just, I don't know what it is. It's just like dark cloud over me. And I feel like my heart is just, is just churning. And there's nothing that I can do to get out. It's just this darkness. And so we should be asking ourselves, like, why would God want all of that in the Bible? Like, that's not how we view the Bible. Like, we view the Bible as, like, that's the thing that's going to, like, make us cheery and happy and, like, yay, good for you. You get a star. Like, that type of thing is how we view the Bible. No, no, no. This is real. And God allows us to see a glimpse of these imperfect men's lives. And maybe he wants you to understand that if you're struggling with these thoughts and if you're struggling with the same thoughts and this depression Maybe he wants you to understand that 
You're not alone. In fact, you are in great, great company. And so the question that comes with this is, okay, all right, so how do we fix it? <laughs> right? So what do we do? What do we do about it? I got this thing. I'm struggling with it. We all struggle with negative thoughts at different times. And Paul, I think in the New Testament, one time Paul, um, he gives us the answer to this. And he kind of goes through this. And so we're going to look at this real quick. Um, Paul, when he's writing this, I want us to keep in mind, Paul is writing from prison. I think we can all agree, not ideal, right? Like not an ideal situation. Okay, all right. You guys aren't so sure what the right answer is. It's not a trick question, okay? It's not an ideal situation to be writing from prison, okay? And he's in prison, by the way, because he's a Christian. That's why he's in prison. So not, fair, not fairly put in prison. And guess what? He's writing to a group of people that live in this city called Philippi. That's a huge city. And these people are being persecuted by all the other people living in Philippi. In fact, Paul was there once, and he got chased out of the city. And so these people, people are probably dying. But for sure, people are losing everything. And just all this stuff is happening to these people simply because they believe that Jesus was God and that he is the only God. And they're going through terrible, terrible, terrible things. And so Paul, as we keep that in mind, because context is so important, Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice. And by the way, the word rejoice, it simply means have joy. Okay? He says, have joy in the Lord. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, okay, I'm struggling with all this stuff. Okay, I can relate to David. I can relate to Jeremiah. I can relate to Elijah and all these guys. And then you got Paul here, and he's saying, yeah, 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 that's all good. Hey, you should have joy. You're like, wait, what? What do you, what do you mean have joy? Like, that's the problem, dude. You know, like, I can't, I can't shake these negative thoughts. I don't, you know, I, I, how do I do that? I got this dark cloud over me. I don't even want to live anymore. I don't feel, it doesn't even feel possible for me to have joy. And that's the thing. This is the thing that we got to understand, okay? Our emotions and our feelings, okay, let me just say this. They're valid, okay? I'll, I'll give you that. They're valid, but our emotions and our feelings are also temporary. We get that? Okay, we've all experienced that. Okay, you go meet a three-year-old, it's temporary within like a second. You know, happy, sad, you know, it just goes back and forth, back and forth. And so here's the deal. Because of our emotions and our feelings are temporary, that means we should never, ever make long-term decisions based on our temporary emotions. Does that make sense? We all agree with that? Okay? And that goes for any emotion. That, mean, that goes for good emotions or bad emotions. Meaning, we should never, all right, let's say take our life because we feel bad and, you know, we feel sick right now. Does that make sense? Because we have these negative emotions. That could be on the opposite end. That could be good emotions as well. Like, you go on a date with somebody and you have this crush on somebody. Well, you shouldn't marry that person right off the bat. You know, it's probably not the best situation based off that, in theory, temporary emotion. And so we shouldn't be making long-term decisions based off of temporary emotions. And we can feel emotions, but we as Christians are not to be ruled by the emotions that we feel. Um, even though we feel sad and anxious and negative and depressed a lot of times, what Paul is saying here is he's saying you can still have joy. You can do it. And he uses this word. All right, let me try this out. He uses this word. Oh, I knew it wasn't going to work. I knew it. It doesn't. It never works. Okay. We knew it. Next service. We'll try again. We got two more tries after this. Here's the deal. He says, have joy in the Lord. And what's this word? Always. Man, that really messes us up, doesn't it? 
it'd be easy if it was like, have joy in the Lord sometimes. That'd be easy, because it's like, well, yeah, we all do that at certain times in our life. You know, we could all handle that. Or have joy once in a while, or have joy when it's easy. Like, that would be super nice, because it'd be like, oh, check mark, got that done. What's up, God? I'm good here. Like, that's not what he says. He says, no, no, no. Have joy in the Lord always. Every single moment of every day. All right, if there's a moment that you can think of that you're struggling, should I have a joy in the Lord? Think of it, does it fall under the category of always? Because if it does, then it counts, okay? And so for all of us, he's saying we should all, as Christians, have joy. That means that in that, this any circumstance, all right, because a lot of times our emotions and our feelings and our mood, it has to, it's tied to a circumstance in our life. He's saying, no, circumstance doesn't matter. You need to take circumstance out of the equation. He says we can have joy in any circumstance, Remember, he's writing to a group of people who are being like, like, like terrible things are happening to them just simply because they're a Christian. And Paul, he's writing from prison, and he's saying, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Even when life doesn't go as you planned, even though you don't know what you're going to do with all the problems that are going on in your life all the time, and they keep popping up, and they're popping up more faster than you can fix them. He says, even when you're depressed, you can choose, it's a choice in your mind, to have joy. And we've talked about this, how this works scientifically, because every single time that we think a thought, what we're actually doing is we're creating these pathways in our brain, which then changes the chemicals in our brain, which then changes how we feel within our minds. And so cognitive behavior psychology, again, the more that we choose to have joy scientifically, the easier it will be to have joy. That's how it works. And just in case we're questioning Paul here, he says, have joy in the Lord always. Actually, I'm just going to say it again. Have joy. <laughs> right? He's like, just let me repeat this for a second in case you missed it. He's like, you need to have joy all the time. He says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Now, this is something where I think a lot of us, we struggle with. He's saying our joy and our graciousness, it should like show up in our life. In fact, the people around us should be able to point to us and say, wow, okay, there's something different about that person. Why is that person so happy all the time? Why has that person got so much joy? Like, they just, like, enjoy life. And can I just be totally honest with you guys this morning? Some of you, okay, and this is me, my, this is including me sometimes, for sure. Um, but some of you, you don't look very happy, especially right now. <laughs> all right, I see this every Sunday. No, but, but some of you just in general... As you live your life, you're not like a happy-looking person. You know what I'm talking about? You guys all know people like that. You know, where you're just like, dude. And I'm not saying, and so here's what Paul, he's talking about the heart, right? Like, so Paul's saying we should have joy within us. Like, that's something. But that should also spill out to the, really, the way that we look. Some of you guys, you just need to learn how to, like, smile. You know what I'm talking about? Actually, can we just try that for a second? This is weird and but you guys need it, okay? <laughs> but seriously, I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to smile at me. Can you do that? No, All right? Yeah. It's a hard, it's, it's Memorial Day weekend. I know we haven't got much sleep, and it's, yeah, it's first service. So, but like, can we just try it? All right, one, two, three. Okay. That was pretty good. That was okay. All right, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's not that hard, is it? To smile? Some of you guys, you might have all the joy going on inside, and you're just not like a very, like, but you just look so sad, 
okay? That's not how a Christian is supposed to look. Some of you guys, you're the exact opposite. Some of you, uh, some of the times what we do is we like, we look happy all the time, but inside we're just rotten and we're just messed up and we're so depressed. All right, I'm not saying to mask it, mask our depression. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying, Paul's saying we should have joy on the inside and that should show up on the outside. Some of us, we might even have half that done. We have the joy on the inside. It just never shows up on the outside because we just look mad all the time. All right, we just look happy. We need to look like we have joy. All right, that's something I've had to work on in my own life. All right, remember, if you're a Christian, I mean, think about it. God has saved you from eternity of hell that you rightfully deserve. Woo, yeah, that's happy. I'm happy about that. I don't know where you guys want to go, but like, I'm like, thank you. I would much rather spend eternity with you than eternity there without you. Like, like that should make us happy. Like, that should, that should give us joy. And by the way, that's the main thing in our life. Like, that's, that's the biggest thing. All the other bad things in our life that happen, because they happen, those things just don't matter that much. Because God's taking care of our biggest problem. He's taking care of it. And Paul's like, and remember that the Lord is near. See, this is something, when we're going through depress, depression and we have these negative thoughts in our mind, this is what we struggle with. We don't feel like God is near. Job did not feel like God was near. But when we feel that way, what we're actually doing is we're buying into the lie that the enemy puts within our mind. We're buying into it. We believe it. That's not true. Paul's like, no, 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 no. The Lord is near. God is there. He's, he wants you to pour his out, your heart out to him. So he says, don't worry about anything. Right? Same word for anxious. Remember, we looked at this a few weeks ago. He says, don't be anxious about anything. You don't have to be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, he says, present your requests to God. Meaning, we go to God with our problems. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, which are evil, right, and our minds. He's saying part of our issue is that we have all these problems that arise in our life, and what do we try to do? We try to fix every single one. We try to control every single one, which, by the way, is impossible. All right, we just can't do it. And so here he's like, no, 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 no. You take those problems to God. You trust that he's going to take care of them, whether they're your way or not your way or some way you haven't even thought about. He says you trust in God, and, uh, and then he, that, that peace will guard your heart. You don't have to, and it will guard your mind. Like trusting in God for all that stuff and all the little problems, he's going to take care of everything. That will help you. It will be like him guarding your mind. It's like what we need to do is take a step back. We need to breathe and look at the big picture here. That's what we so often do not do. We get so wrapped up in these tiny little temporary things that actually don't matter. Uh, just last Thursday night, a few days ago, I was sleeping in the middle of the night. We had our windows down or up, windows up, and it was so like, you know, it was like cold. It was like 50s. Man, that's like good sleeping weather. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. All right. And I'm laying there, and there's like, I wake up, there's like a raccoon fight right outside my window. <laughs> Tiffin. You know, you think in town, you went, I don't know. But it's like in the alley, there's like raccoons like going at it. And it so wakes me up and I'm like, okay, whatever. And then like three, then it goes away. And like three minutes later, I hear a trash can fall over. And I'm like, oh, you got to be, should I get up? 
what should I do? Should I go out there and scare the things away, start picking up the trash now, or should I wait till tomorrow? I don't feel like getting up. I don't want to get up. I'm nice and comfortable right where I am. And then it's like, but then I start thinking about it, and I'm thinking, you know, so tomorrow there's going to be a bunch of trash. It's embarrassing because now we got neighbors, like, right up on us. And so what am I, you know, I've got to go, and they're going to see me picking up the trash, and the raccoon's, like, probably spreading all over the place. And it's just, you know, it's just awkward and weird. And I'm thinking about all this stuff, and I'm just like, mad at the raccoons, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just laying there, and I laid there for over an hour just mad. That is such a stupid little thing, right? To be worried or thinking about, like, to allow something like that to bother me. And then on Friday, I come in here to work, and I'm writing this, and I'm like, oh, man, I just did this. You know, I'm like, why did I let that little thing bother me for so long last night? Like, like why did I do that? It shouldn't even be on my radar. Like, that's such a tiny little thing. Like, on my deathbed someday, I'm not going to be going, man, I remember back in 23, those stupid raccoons that night, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be doing that because I'm going to, I hope, you know, I'm assuming I've even forgotten about the whole situation, okay? Like, it's such a stupid little thing. And then I came out that morning, nothing happened anyway. It's somebody else's trash can. (laughs) I don't got to worry about it. I was all mad about raccoons messing with somebody else's trash can. That's... Even worse. See, that's what we do. We let a thousand little things bother us. You get that? Like, we all do it, right? Some of us more than others. We're more worried and anxious than other people. And, and I mean, here, we got a perfect example in the New Testament. There's one time Jesus, he goes and he's staying with these uh, two sisters and their brother. Uh, their names are Mary and Martha. Some of you guys, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know exactly where I'm going with this. And and he's going, and they're, pre- they're pre- like preparing dinner for him, okay, which is normal. You would expect that. And so when, they, when he gets there, he starts teaching, and Mary, she actually stops working in the kitchen. Can you believe it? And she walks out, and she sits down, and she listens to Jesus' teaching. Now, as you can imagine, if you have a sister, right, the other sister, Martha, she ain't happy about it. She's in there fuming, and she's mixing her potatoes or whatever she's doing. You know, she's just like, I can't believe Mary's not in here helping me. I want to go talk to Jesus. I would like to listen to Jesus, but I can't because I got to do this meal, and I got to make sure this is right, and I got to make sure that way, and we're already missing a place setting. Like, she's thinking about all these little things, and so what Martha does is she actually goes, and she pulls Jesus aside. This is so funny to me. It says, Martha, she was distracted by her many tasks. You ever there? Okay. Right? It's okay to work. We should be working. Working is good for us, but it shouldn't be weighing us down. We shouldn't let it weigh us down. It says, and so she came up and she pulls Jesus aside and she says, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Like, have you noticed that I'm in the kitchen, I'm doing all the work? That's not fair. That ain't right. So tell her to give me a hand. She'll listen to you. She ain't gonna listen to me. Can you just tell her to come in here and work with me? And so Jesus answered her. He says, Martha, Martha, are you worried and upset about, he says, you are worried and upset about many things. Like, you can read it off their face. I mean, he's God, so he knows everything. But she's clearly all worked up about something that's not that big of a deal. And he's just like, one thing is necessary. Notice this word. He says, one thing. All right, all the little things in our life that we try to juggle, all the little things in our life that we try to hold on to, we try to control, we try to fix ourselves. He's like, you only have to worry about one. Why are you worrying about a thousand things? You can't handle that. One thing is necessary, and what his point is, is he's like, and it's me. 
I'm coming down to fix your big problem. I'm, I'm here to fix the biggest thing that you have. You don't even understand how serious your problem is. He says, so Mary has made the right choice, and it's not going to be taken away from her. I mean, think about this. Just think about it. Jesus is like, look at the big picture, Martha. All right? Look at the big picture. I mean, what Martha is failing to see, just this is, drives me crazy, uh, and we all do this, every single one of us. What Martha is failing to see She's got the God of the universe who's infinitely holy and powerful sitting in her living room, right? Right? Okay. And she's worried about who's going to take the pie out of the oven. Like that's, you get what I'm saying? Like we're so mixed up. We get so mixed up. We are so dumb. Okay, we all are. Like it's just, it's just how we are. Like it's just what we think. We allow all these things to bother us and control us and they start to take over. Instead, we're to focus on what matters and that's on what Jesus did for us and we're supposed to be gracious to others. We're supposed to talk to God. We're supposed to thank him for all the stuff, many things that he's given us and trust that he will guard our minds, that he will take care of our issues instead of being weighed down day to day with day-to-day problems and sadness. Paul says... Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, meaning whatever um, looks good, he says, whatever is commendable. If there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, Paul's like, think about those things. See, remember a few weeks ago we talked about how we were to take off our old selves, okay, and we were to put on our new self. See, it's not just taking off. we got to fill our minds with other things. So here's Paul. He's like saying, yeah, that's how it works. Instead of entertaining lies, no, nah, that's not we as, what we as Christians do. We think about what's true. Instead of thinking about what's wrong, that's not what we as Christians do. We think about what's honorable. Instead of thinking about what's fair or not, we, in Christians, we as Christians, we think about what's just. Instead of thinking about what's morally corrupt, we think about what's pure. Instead of thinking about what's offensive to us and being offended, all right, we think about what's pleasing. Instead of thinking about who's deserving of this and who's deserving of that, he's like, no, no, no. We think about what's commendable. Paul's like, you got to change how you think. It's not just taking stuff out and choosing not to think about those certain things. We got to change how we think. We got to think about other things. It's about what we think about. All right, we got to look at the big picture. There's so much good for us to think about. There's so much good that God has given us. Remember, we've been saying that's how we beat it, right? Like, Like life's a struggle. And if we're a Christian, we're not freed from the struggle, Life doesn't automatically get easy. If we're a Christian, we are freed to struggle, finally freed to struggle. We need to struggle well. You have to think about the right things. That's not just thinking positively, okay? That's not what that means. It's about thinking about what matters, what God has done for us. It's about thinking about truth. And so today what I encourage you to do is take out the root of the problem. Stop those thoughts in their tracks. Take those thoughts, demolish those walls, take those thoughts captive and force those thoughts to obey. You can't always control what happens to you, but you can control how you think about it. See, maybe the best thing for some of you, honestly, (laughs) it's not the medication that you're taking or whatever. Maybe the best thing for some of you is for you this afternoon to go for a walk in the sun 
and tell God how you feel. Like that might be the best thing for you. Go for a walk in the sun and tell God how you feel. By the way, he can handle it, okay? He can handle it, all right? Those feelings, I think a lot of times we have these feelings that we're just too embarrassed kind of like to say. We don't want to say them out loud. We don't want to necessarily tell God. Dude, he already knows how you feel. He's God, okay? He gets it. And so he can handle it. He already knows it. What he wants you to do is cry out to him. That's what, God, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying you need to give those things to God. Just like Job did, just like David did, just like Elijah did, just like Jonah did, just like Jeremiah did. We are to cry out to God. We all deal with depression on some level. Relationship issues, friends issues, health problems. We got work problems. We got family issues. We got, maybe it's just a stage of life. Maybe for some of us, it's just that we're getting older and we can't do the things that we used to do. And it's like depressing. Life's winding down. We've always had this thing that we, you know, we've always had the future to look forward to. Well, now the future's shorter. See, we allow ourselves to become sad, lonely, depressed, and weighed down by the world around us. And what we need to know, we don't have to let it. We don't need to. God doesn't want that for us. We weren't built, we weren't created to handle that. It's not good for us. So we need to look towards him and trust in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and really what this whole weekend means and It's a reminder, Lord, that we need to be thankful for everything good that you've given us. God, you have been so good to us that we allow all the thousands of little things that are not perfect in our life just kind of weigh us down. God, help us to detach from those things and focus on the one thing that is awesome, that you paid everything that we've ever done wrong. Our sin problem has been taken care of, something we couldn't do, something you did. Because for some reason, I don't even understand it, you love us. And God, we thank you for that. We ask that you would help us to live a life full of joy that people can see and to enjoy the life that you've lived because it is precious. Each moment is a gift. God, we thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.